The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, 4 a.m. in Dallas, Texas, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to build on records in a big way. Futures are pointing to solid gains. COVID cases and hospitalizations falling dramatically all across the country. But a different kind of danger in the mid and southwest. Millions of families with no power or even no heat as ultra-cold temperatures have power companies scrambling to find energy or buying it at huge premiums. Bitcoin closing in on 50000 More big firms getting into the crypto game. The latest price is ahead. Now showing a potential sign of things to come from overseas. The shares of IMAX China surge amid a record number of moviegoers doing their Lunar New Year holiday. And pulling back the curtain on Warren Buffett's big mystery buy. As Berkshire Hathaway prepares to potentially reveal what its unnamed investments were last quarter. It is Tuesday, February 16th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan, and it is good to be back here this week. Thanks for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. All right, there is a lot to get to, so let's get right to it. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their Tuesday after the three-day trading weekend. Futures, they are up big again. The Dow futures up 216, NASDAQ futures up 62. Of course, this going into a market that's already been red hot. The S&P 500 up 5% this year and 10% in just 90 days. But maybe the markets to watch today are not stocks. They are fossil fuels and maybe the cryptos. First off, let's get oil and gas. They are both surging as record cold or near record cold pummeling much of the nation. We are seeing WTI crude just a tick below 60. It was above 60 last night. Concerns about production slowdowns and demand increases as the deep freeze locks up refineries. Natural gas also back above three bucks for the first time since last October's brief pop. A bigger focus on this and the massive spike in prices in Texas coming up in just a couple of minutes. We also, of course, have to take a look at the cryptos. Does Bitcoin hit 50,000 today? Well, it certainly could. It's not right now, but we are seeing Bitcoin at 49,282, up about three and a half percent Ether, Remains red hot, even hotter than Bitcoin, by the way, at 18.03. All right, let's travel around the world now. As their markets remain mixed, the vaccine rollout across most of Europe, ex the UK, unfortunately going very slowly. Jumana Bersetchi is in our London newsroom with a look at the early trade, the headlines, and a lot of green on the screen. Jumana. 
That's right, Brian, including myself, actually. That wasn't planned, by the way. Uh, but, yeah, let me just uh, take you to European markets. We are seeing uh, quite a bit of green on the board. FTSE 100, the U.K. index, is the one that's outperforming. I just want to actually take you back to a conversation you and I had at the beginning of this year. We talked about some of the vaccine objectives that the government had set for themselves. And guess what? We found out yesterday they had met them. They've actually managed to vaccinate or at least give the first jab to 15 million citizens in the U.K. That is the top four priority group. So very strong on the vaccine rollout in the UK. But of course, as you mentioned, Europe still set back by multiple uh, delays and uh, hurdles that still need to be overcome. FTSE, maybe you can see in Italy, the one index we talked a lot about last week because of Mario Draghi just treading below the flat line. But a lot of focus today in Europe has been on miners. So I just want to turn to some of the major stocks we're looking at. Uh, Glencore in focus up 3%. They've announced that they're reinstating their dividends. BHP as well also up 7 tenths of a percentage point, posting a monster second half of the year and also reinstating dividends as well. So the commodity balance is playing into some of these UK names here, Brian. Yeah, to your point, I mean, the vaccine rollout really is the only economic data I would say that matters, Juman, and the UK has done a great job. The US is the most vaccinated big country in the world, but you are the most vaccinated big country by percentage of population. And I think that's going to play, play a yeah. role in the markets. Yeah, and uh, keep a close eye on yep. the pound as well. Don't forget that. The pound is almost up at 140, again, on back of some of that optimism and the fact that, for the most part, Brexit is out of the way, even though Brexit issues still linger. But that's one for another time. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I got to say, the outfit in the wall matched so much, Jumana. It was like, all I saw was your head floating somewhere over Kuala Lumpur. <laughs> I had it planned, you know, maybe we're wishing a red backdrop for next time. <laughs> no, keep it green. We'll all keep everything green. Markets want to go up, Jumana. Thank you very much. All right. Now let's get a quick hit Thanks, on Frank. three big money stories this morning. All right. Take care. Story number one. Look at IMAX China soaring overnight in Hong Kong following new data showing that box office revenue for the first five days of the Lunar New Year holiday hit a record high. Yes, they're going to the movies in China. And in fact, local officials are giving away free movie tickets all as a way to keep people from traveling over the Lunar New Year. Imagine that. Please go to the movies. Stock number two, TikTok. Its parent company has reportedly scrapped a deal to sell the app to Oracle and Walmart. According to the South China Morning Post, ByteDance making the move now that former President Trump is out of office. The report says that ByteDance believed that selling to Oracle would have proven a valuable relationship had Trump won re-election, given founder Larry Ellison's support for the president, but that's all over now. And story number three, a big name, Berkshire Hathaway, potentially set to reveal the name of its mystery investment from late last year. The company will disclose its stock investments when it releases its 13F report after the bell today. With its quarterly filing in mid-November, Berkshire revealed it had made a confidential filing for certain unnamed investments. Barron's writing over the weekend. The speculation has Disney, PayPal, Google, Home Depot, ExxonMobil, or Chevron as the top potential names, but who knows? I guess we'll find out today. All right, let's get back down to the markets and your money and what we just talked about with Jumana, maybe really with all due respect to everything else, the only story that matters right now for the world, and that is the vaccine rollout. And as we noted, here in the States, the rollout has really ramped up. We are the most vaccinated large country in the world and the second by percentage of large population. 
More than 16% of Americans getting at least one shot, only behind the UK. For most of Europe, though, it has been a very different story. Germany, Italy, and France all have fewer than 5% of their population with at least one dose in their rollout. How does this play out in the global markets? Seema Shah, Chief Strategist at Principal Global Investors, joins us. And Seema, thank you very much. Listen, neither you or I nor do- you might be a doctor for all I know. Who knows? But I-, I know that I'm not. But what we can do is we can look at the data and we can look at the numbers. And there does seem to be a correlation between countries that are receiving greater rollouts of the vaccine, a la UK, a la United States, and how investors perceive their economies and their stock markets. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, that vaccine rollout is such an important number to be watching uh, because it's going to give us an indication of when we can expect economies to be able to reopen um, and therefore when we can expect to see that recovery that everyone is expecting. And as you said, you know, the US and the UK are doing pretty well. Europe is lagging. But I have to say, we have got some hopes that um, just as we've seen in most countries, that you'll start to see an acceleration of that rollout. Uh, Europe had a really slow start because it had struggled to approve quickly um, logistics. It came across a number of supply shortages. But hopefully over time, they should get up to pace. You know, when you wonder what I, I, I want to call it the vaccine economy, Seema, because I traveled last week to South Carolina. I noticed that there were a number of you know, elderly and senior citizens on my flight. I asked one woman who's in a wheelchair. I, I was well away, well masked up. Don't worry. And I said, Are, you know, have you been vaccinated? And she nodded. And I said, she's going to see her family. And I thought, I wonder what this this boom in this vaccine rollout is going to be as people feel more free to get out and travel. And that plays into economic growth and corporate earnings and hotels and restaurants. It could have this huge ripple effect, could it not? It could be absolutely huge, as you said. Um, This is the most important thing to watch for this year. You know, if we were to get any kind of severe shock with regards to vaccines, it puts the whole thing under question in terms of the economic recovery that we're anticipating. What we should see is that if economies start to reopen in Q2, as we are expecting, then you can see a release of all that pent-up demand that we've been seeing over the last year starts to be released, um, and you get a surge in services. All the sectors that have been really beaten up should perform better. But I think we still have to have an element of caution here because, you know, we're still not going to see herd immunity being achieved until at least late this year in a number of these advanced economies. So the high human-to-human contact sectors well, we, will still Seema, be facing to, to be fair, to be fair, we don't we don't know that. In fact, I've sort of committed that I'm not going to use the term herd immunity because I don't we don't know the denominator. We don't know how many asymptomatic cases have been out there. I don't want to get into a medical conversation. Certainly, I'm not qualified to do that. But is it is it tough to make specific time frames based on projections? where we don't actually know the math. I guess that's my only point. Yeah, absolutely. And and that means that there's a huge amount of uncertainty in the outlook. So when we look at the way that the market is reacting at the moment is there is a, a lot of optimism about what can happen. But as you said, there is uncertainty and investors need to maintain a little bit of caution. Uh, and that's actually one of the reasons that we have picked still some defensive sectors in our allocations. Like what? What do you what do you like right now? Well, very quickly, what looks still attractive from a valuation? Everything seems seems like it's in a melt up. It is, and as you said, look, everything is expensive, and it'll be a surprise. But we still like big tech, and the reason is the stay at home trade. It's not going away anytime soon, 
And a lot of these companies have suffered, which is going to keep on delivering as the years progress. And that's one of the reasons we still are maintaining an allocation to big tech. Seema Shah, Principal Global Investors, the rollout there, the rollout here, moving on. Seema, let's hope that that whatever the word is comes sooner than later and we'll, we'll actually go out and have dinner and, and drinks as, as teams and groups and shows together again someday. Seema, thank you. Best to you. All right, now to Washington. As President Biden prepares to take his push for a newly $2 trillion stimulus package on the road, it is the first of several virus-related events slated for the president this week. NBC News' Tracy Potts joining us now live from Washington with more on that. Tracy. Hi, Brian. He's going to be on the road a couple of times this week talking about COVID and COVID relief while Democrats here in Washington are still trying to work out the details of that bill that they hope some Republicans will support. President Biden heads to Milwaukee today, his first official trip out of Washington since taking office. He'll answer questions at a town hall sure to focus on the COVID pandemic. I know we'll get through this. I know better days are ahead. And if we do it together as one people, one nation, one America, we will not fail. But even with new cases and death rates improving, there are serious challenges. New variants of the virus have popped up in 41 states. Governors, Democrat and Republican, are raising concerns about the vaccine rollout. The White House responding last night that they're working to improve data and reporting. Then there's the COVID relief bill. We're going to have to talk to each other. Compromise is not a dirty word. Democrats are writing up their plan for a vote next week, hoping to get some Republican lawmakers to support it. It has support of Republican mayors, Republican governors, but more importantly, it has support of 50 percent of Republicans in this country, 46 percent of Republic, I mean, Trump voters in this country. Next up, immigration. Democrats announced last night they'll introduce a bill later this week that creates a path to citizenship for 11 million undocumented immigrants, make it easier to apply for asylum before reaching the border and expand benefits for dreamers. And the president will be on the road again later this week, heading to a Pfizer plant in Michigan on Thursday. And then on Friday, Brian, he's going to be meeting virtually with world leaders that G7 summit about the pandemic. Tracy Potts, NDC. Tracy, thank you very much. Have a great day. All right. We are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. When we come back, much more on the vaccine rollout in the U.S. and where we really stand in the race to get everyone a dose the numbers looking better every day. Plus, a new strategy to bounce back from natural disasters. Diana Olaf looking at how home builders are rebuilding better and faster. And later, Leslie Picker is here to lay out the potential new chapter in the ongoing battle between hedge funds and retail traders. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back in. Good morning, Dow Futures. They're up 208. Well, now to a feature that we hope to bring you fairly regularly, a real-time update on how the vaccine rollout is really going because it's a very hot and very important topic. So here are the numbers from the CDC. Now, keep in mind, these are from Sunday, yesterday, a federal holiday. So we did not get an update. Overall, more than 70 million doses have been delivered. About 52.3 million have been administered. Roughly 38.3 million people have received one or more doses. 14 million have received their second dose. That means about 15% of American adults, those over the age of 18, have received at least one dose. And the pace of vaccinations outside of yesterday's holiday is now at 1.7 million doses per day, making the U.S. the second large country in terms of percentage of its population that has been vaccinated. Israel, far ahead of everybody at about 70%. Bahrain, the UAE up there. But behind the U.K., it is just the United States. All right, on deck, the very latest on the very scary deep freeze in Texas and parts of the Midwest. Millions without power or heat. Power lines randomly catching fire and power companies facing 1,000% price hikes to buy what little electricity there is. Today's big number, 33%. That's approximately how much of the Russell 2000 components are up at least 20% so far in 2021. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right. Well, welcome back. Well, hard to believe, but 2020 wasn't just the year of the pandemic. It was also the year that the U.S. saw both a record number of hurricanes make landfall and the most active wildfire season in history. The damage in the multi-billions. But as Diana Olick reports, as the disasters get worse, we are learning from the past about how to rebuild better and faster. In 2017, the Tubbs Fire in Northern California burned more than 6,000 homes, half of them in Santa Rosa, where Richard Hicks had built his home three decades before. Well, my home and all my neighbors' homes were reduced to ashes, and uh, we essentially lost everything. Hicks did not want to leave the community he loved, but the enormous task of rebuilding thousands of unique homes was not something Santa Rosa's construction workforce could handle. Hicks worried that it would be a very long process, 
as did nearby resident Nikki Pache, but she saw an opportunity. I watched the community around me burning down, and we quickly assembled a team of friends and family who felt like we needed to find a better way to get the community back. She co-founded Homebound, a custom home building company, but with a large production builder model. The goal, make it possible for a devastated community to put up multiple unique custom homes at the same time, and in half the time custom usually takes. There were thousands of homes that were lost, and so all of the trades were overwhelmed. Instead of relying solely on local labor that's available, we have a team that builds a proprietary network within a multi-hour radius of where we're building. Homebound also helps clients, most of whom have never built a home, with design, budgeting, even choosing the more than 500 finishings required. What we've built is a platform that allows our homeowners to see at any stage of their project exactly where they are in terms of the selections that they've made to go into the house, in terms of their schedule, their budget. Homebound is backed by some of Silicon Valley's biggest venture capitalists. Piché wants to scale her model to be able to move into markets at risk of not just fire, but of hurricanes and river flooding. The reality of climate change is that we're going to continue to see more natural disasters creating more damage. And so we've got to be prepared for how we can respond more quickly. Robert Hicks moved into his new homebound built home last year, far faster than he ever expected. Being back among my neighbors and bringing the neighborhood back to life, uh, I feel like I'm back home again. Not only is this company building faster, it's also building more resilient homes and communities. That means more defensible landscaping and managing vegetation, adding exterior materials that prevent fire from getting in, venting systems that are more efficient at blocking flying embers. There are actually a lot of things that can be done to make a home, if not fireproof, at least less vulnerable. Brian. Diana, it's an important story. We know that the risks here are not going away. Nobody's going to say they're going away. Hopefully they won't be as bad as last year. I don't think anything could be as bad as last year on many levels. But why rebuild these communities that might see another major fire in a few years or whatever natural disaster they may face? Well, that's a huge debate in the community as well. But remember, these folks who lost their homes, they still own their properties. So they have an investment there. They've also lived in these communities for decades and really want to stay there. But then again, you have to ask, is it part of the insurance company problem? If insurance companies continue to offer insurance on these homes, people will continue to rebuild there. So again, it's a big debate. But for now, most people still want to stay in these areas even after they're devastated. All right, Diana, look on an important story there. Diana, good to see you. Thank you very much. All right, still on deck. Another car maker pumping the brakes on reports that it is teaming up with Apple. We'll get details on the latest chapter in this autonomous auto saga. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our new podcast, Worldwide Exchange, every day. It's in audio form, as most podcasts are. So if you miss us, you can check us out on Apple or Spotify or many of the other podcasting apps. I promise that picture not included. Dow futures up 200. We're back after this. Good morning and welcome or welcome back. The markets look to roll again as the reopened trade remains red hot. Dow futures up 200. 
as COVID cases and hospitalizations collapse around the country. A deep freeze in Texas and the Midwest, near record lows across many states, millions without power or heat. Power companies pay up to try to buy what little electricity there is. And as cryptos keep running, Elon Musk has a message for all you Dogecoin holders out there. You're going to want to hear it on this Tuesday, February 16th. This is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, good Tuesday morning and welcome or welcome back, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan and good to be back with you this week. Well, here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day. Futures, they are solidly in the green. Dow futures up more than 200 points right now. NASDAQ up about the same as a percent. The markets, of course, have been red hot. The S&P 500 up 5% this year and up 10% in just the last 90 days. But maybe the markets to watch today are not stocks. They are the fossil fuels and they are the cryptos. First up, oil and gas. They are both higher. Record cold pummeling much of America. Crude oil hovering right around 60 bucks a barrel. There is concern about production slowdowns as some refineries lock up. And of course, you've got demand soaring as everybody tries to get power and crank the heat. Natural gas, same story. Back above $3 for the first time since October's brief pop. And of course, you got to take a look at the cryptos as well. Will today be the day that Bitcoin hits and breaks 50K? Well, it might, but it's not right now. Bitcoin is at 49,148, still up 3%. Ether up just over 2% as well. And speaking of cryptos, Elon Musk back on the tape saying, quote, if major Dogecoin holders sell most of their coins, it will get his full support. Tesla CEO tweeting Sunday, too much concentration is the only real issue, in my opinion, IMO. He later added, I will literally pay actual money if they just void their accounts. Huh. Now, Dogecoin dropped 14% on that at one point yesterday. It is down now, but not quite that much. In fact, it is basically flat. In the meantime, social network Parler is back online. It relaunched its service yesterday, more than a month after Amazon kicked it off its cloud computing service, and Apple and Google removed it from their app stores. Tech giants said that Parler had violated terms of service agreements, citing content tied to the riot at the Capitol. Parler's internet servers are now hosted by SkySilk Inc. The app is still suspended from the Apple and Google stores. And yet another chapter in the seemingly ongoing Apple car story. Nissan, the latest company to come out and say it is not in talks with Apple over any kind of autonomous car project. Commons follow a report that Apple had approached the automaker in recent months. Nissan, by the way, down about a percent. All right, now let's get back to the markets and your money stocks, trading at all-time highs, futures up 200 points. And joining us now is KKM Financial CEO and CNBC contributor and our friend Jeff Kilberg. Joining us from what is no doubt a very frosty Chicago, Jeff. Um, listen, uh, as cold as it is outside, the markets have remained hot. It has been a melt-up literally in nearly every asset class. Look at that live shot of Chicago right there. That is, that is rough. Stay inside. Um, but back to the markets. Jeff, honestly, you've been doing this a long time. I'm not going to ask you if you've never seen a market like this. It's rare. How long could this go on? 
Well, Sully, it's amazing to see. And it's interesting that there's still a lot of cash in the market. We've talked a lot on Worldwide Exchange about the $5 trillion sitting in cash. But to your point, yes, we are seeing the markets move higher. We had another new all-time high in the S&P 500 overnight. But the small caps, you bring up a great point about the small caps moving higher. And I want to give some credit to my friend and our friend, Carrie Firestone, when she talked about this move higher in the small caps. Do remember, Sully, and this is critical, and to be very cognizant of the fact that if you take the top 1,500 of the Russell 2000 stocks, combine all the market caps of those 1,500 stocks, they equal barely one Microsoft. They equal barely one Apple. So that move higher, it's been sensational to see from a year-to-day perspective, but I do think we have to be cognizant that you continue to see the rotation. So yes, I'm optimistic, but this week, Sully, it's a slower week. It's only four trading days due to President's Day, so I'm a little bit cautious up here because of the parabolic move you've talked about. But the trajectory of the marketplace certainly is going to continue to move higher as we see the central bank support. And you wonder, though, that rotation maybe coming out of Microsoft and into the Russell 2000. And, and shout out to Kerry and, and a few others like our friend Dan Vrew back in June and July said this is the place to be. Is that rotation likely going to continue in the small cap space? Because to your point, as they go up, they, they become less small and their valuations certainly grow, Jeff. Well, short term, the answer is yes. If we look at our matrix, we use a lot of relative strength powered by NASDAQ Dorsey, right? And the relative strength is telling us that small caps will continue to move higher. But to your point, you're right. Small caps have lagged for years. In this last six months, this movement, this dispersion, they're just playing a catch-up trade. I know we talked about the catch-up trade in the large cap equities. Maybe this is more of a mustard trade. And we've seen tremendous outperformance. So I think it does cool off. But short term, the technicals are still lining up for small caps to prevail. You just said the mustard trade after saying ketchup, and I just got to say, Jeff Kilberg, I do not relish you saying that one single bit. Um, is there anything in the ETF? See what I did there? Anything in the ETF market, technology, anything outside the Russell 2000 that you and your team are finding delicious right now? Oh, let's not hot dog around here, so let's cut to it. But nonetheless, we are seeing semiconductors. SOXX, that's an ETF we like to use to get broad swath exposure. In the housing market, let's talk about the home construction. You can utilize ITB. That's a great way to get exposure. But the Home Depots, the Mascos, those stocks are continuing to hit on all cylinders. But this week, Sully, we've already seen about 400 of the S&P 500 names report. So this week, we have a, a nice cross-section. We're going to see CVS today. We're going to see advanced auto parts. But later in the week, we're going to see some of the technology names. If it's a Dropbox, but even if like a John Deere, we're going to have a really good idea because earnings have been more impressive than expected. I know there's a dislocation between the real economy here in Chicago and actually Wall Street, but some of these earnings, the way some of these companies are getting lean and meaner, it's really been impressive. So the trajectory overall in the wake of earnings season can continue to move higher, but things do not move in a straight line. So like, understand there will be a back and fill here, and that will be an opportunistic opportunity to put more cash to the market. But nonetheless, I'm remaining optimistic on the marketplace here just due to the fact that there's so much cash sitting on the sidelines. You know, and, and, I, and I just on a side note, Jeff, you know, I've been two or through 15 or so states in the last four months, our election road trips, various new. I've been outside of the Northeast. You know, I popped a day in for Chicago. I've not been to California, obviously. And I'm just going to say there are two economies in America right now. There's the Northeast where everybody's sort of, you know, hunched over. When you get out of the Northeast, Jeff, and Florida and other, I'm sure your friends have told you about this. It's like life has gone on, except everybody's in a mask. And I'm, I'm not making a point other than I wondered when I looked around South Carolina last week, is the economy on a macro level 
doing largely a lot better than we actually think it might be from our perches, mostly in the Northeast, Chicago, and, and those types of media and market centers. Well, I think what you've experienced, Sully, and I'm a little upset with you because you came to Chicago and you didn't notify me, but one of the things that you really brought up is the pent-up demand, the pent-up demand in our economy. People are looking to find some form of normalcy. So I think that's the next move higher in the stock market is when you see the consumer. And this week, don't forget, we have retail sales, we have PPI, so we'll get a better understanding of the actual consumer this week. But the bigger picture, yes, it's going to be interesting to see how we find the vaccine continue to accelerate. If we get that acceleration, we continue to get optimism. If we get that optimism, that's the global demand. That's why you're seeing crude oil at $60. That's why you're seeing the 10-year at 1.25. I'm not calling it complacency yet. What we're seeing right now is a little bit of a euphoria. It's Fat Tuesday, so it's time to celebrate just a touch. Yeah, listen, it, it, there's still a long way to go here, but I'm telling you, man, my eyes were, well, I was in Florida recently in South Carolina and, and, and things are packed. I mean, people are going on, people are in school largely, a lot of people working from their offices, everybody's masked up. But I just thought to myself, I wonder if there's an economy that we're missing here. Either way, it goes into the whole market conversation. Jeff Kilberg, stay in. The weather looks terrible there. Stay warm, buddy. It's great to have you on. Thank you very much. By the way, Seven, I just looked at the numbers, 74 Russell 2000 stocks have more than doubled in the last 12 months, 74. Wow. All right, coming up, energy prices on the rise, a deep freeze shutting down U.S. oil wells, stopping wind turbines, millions without power, heat, or even water, and electricity companies having to pay thousands of percent markups to buy what little electricity there is. We'll talk to an industry expert who is in Texas about what goes on now and where this goes from here. Stick around. All right, welcome back. Returning now, the developing and very scary story in large parts of the middle of the United States as winter weather is creating a rolling power crisis. Millions of families from Texas to North Dakota are losing power either because of the cold or because of rolling blackouts. Power companies have needed to implement these rolling blackouts because often they simply do not have enough electricity to meet soaring demand, and the electricity they can find, they are paying hundreds or more than a 1,000% premiums to buy. The weather creating dangerous scenes like this one in Louisiana. This video out of Jefferson Parish shared by Christina Watkins, an anchor at an NBC affiliate WDSU in New Orleans on Twitter. Look at that. A fire going back and forth across a power line, hitting a transformer, no doubt knocking out power. Millions without heat and often without water right now. For more, we're joined now by Tim Fox, vice president and research analyst at Clearview Energy Partners, who actually is in Texas right now. And I'm assuming because you're on camera, Tim, that you guys do have power, but looking at the Austin Power website, about 40% of Austin currently is without power and often without heat. What's your situation? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So, so far, we've had uh, power the entire time we've, we've been down here. But as you said, um, it, it does appear that at any moment we could lose power. And we're, and we're looking and wondering as Americans, we understand if there is a flood or we understand if a, if a tree knocks down a power line in our neighborhood and maybe you lose power for a while. It is more difficult to understand what's happening now, Tim, which is that power companies, the ones we rely on, we probably don't even think about except for when we have to pay our monthly bill, suddenly 
cannot find the electricity they need. Explain to us in layman's terms what's going on. Absolutely. Well, this is really just comes down to supply and demand. Um, as you said, the severe storm came through, knocked out about 30 gigawatts of generation capacity, while at the same time driving up demand to, to heat homes. And so there's just not enough supply on the market. And uh, as, as you said, electricity is very important. It's perhaps the most ubiquitous but underappreciated consumer commodity there is. I mean, simply put, we often don't notice its importance until we don't have it. Yeah, there are refineries that we are showing that have been shut in because they're simply too cold or maybe the workers simply can't get there. Many wind turbines, Tim, they've either frozen solid where they can't spin or maybe there's not enough wind to power them because they're cold. Some combination pipelines as well. Are you hearing these stories that I read over the weekend and talked to people that that natural gas, which is at three dollars right now on a on a traded level, is going for three, four or five hundred per million BTU right now as power companies will pay whatever they can or distributors contractually to buy it? That's a great question. And I'm hearing the same thing, although I'm focused more on the electricity prices. As ERCOT said, many generating units uh, across fuel types have been forced offline due to the storm. And so the question we ask now is, what does that mean? What are the policy changes that may come ahead when when the storm is behind us? How will ERCOT, the, the state's electricity regulator, as well as um, uh, the Texas legislature may respond to these outages. We think there's going to be a response. Yeah, and you wonder where the response is going to be. Listen, this weather, thankfully, is not something you see very much. These are either near records or new record colds for much of Texas and other parts of the country as well. So thankfully, this does not happen a lot. But when we look at our energy mix, renewables are in the mix. And of course, now people are going to say, oh, look, the windmills freeze or there's no sun. So we have no solar. And oh, the pipelines are frozen. It seems like when we look at these types of events, this one or others, Tim, that the that the answer seems to be a mix, that not one thing will work all the time. Would you say that's a fair statement? I think that is a fair statement. It's a good, it's a good point to make. Again, as Ercot said, it was a number of generating assets uh, across different fuel types. And I think the point uh, to, to make clear is that instances of energy shortages often um, are followed by changes in, in policy and reforms to market constructs. So we're going to be looking again at ERCOT as well as at the Texas legislature to see what type of reforms uh, policymakers may want to look at in response to these outages. Yeah, and I've got people, Tim, on Twitter who've said, my family and I, it's five degrees, haven't had power in nine hours. They're going out to their car to start their car to get warm before they go back in. ERCOT, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, they may want to reevaluate that R, that reliability part. Tim Fox, hope you guys have your power stayed on. Thanks for getting up early for us, Tim, an important story. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. All right, take care and be well. All right, on deck. Hedge funds showing their hands. Wall Street's biggest players required to file their latest investments with regulators by tonight. It's the deadline, but will all that matter to the Reddit crowd anyway? And by the way, if you haven't already, subscribe to our new-ish podcast, Worldwide Exchange, same as, you know, the show name. Check it out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcasts. Dow Futures up 200. We'll be right back.
All right, welcome or welcome back to Worldwide Exchange and good morning. Trolling through hedge funds 13F filings. Sounds like fun, right? It's how you learn what the biggest hedge funds are positioning, what they're buying and what they're dumping, and it has long been a pastime of certain retail investors. But the story might be just a little bit different this time around. Leslie Picker joining us now. Leslie Picker, why is it going to be a little bit different this time around? Because this is one of your favorite <laughs> hobbies. You and I often talk about this is how you spend your time. It is. And I sense some sarcasm when you said this sounds like fun, doesn't it? But it, it can be fun, you know, if you just really dig into these filings. But uh, to your point, this does happen four times a year, every year. This is the deadline for hedge funds and other large institutional investors uh, to reveal holdings through SEC filings. These are known as 13 Fs. The disclosures disclosures are dated and the positions are limited to longs, calls and puts, no short positions. But Retail traders have been increasingly scoping out these filings for clues about where the so-called big guys are putting their money. Perhaps the more intrepid ones are seeking out vulnerabilities that they can profit from. That was the case, if you recall, with Melvin Capital when a Reddit user posted about the firm's puts on GameStop, the beginning of what turned into a now notorious short squeeze on the stock and 53% losses for Melvin in January alone. Now, it's become apparent on the long side, too, when Silver Squeeze was trending on Twitter, prominent commentators on the Wall Street Bet subreddit forum urged others not to follow suit because hedge funds were long a silver ETF and would benefit from that squeeze. Uh, some hedge funds already released their 13Fs last Friday. Seth Klarman's Balpost disclosed sizable stake in Intel, plus several SPAC holdings. Bridgewater took stakes in gold miners. And today, though, we'll really see the bulk of filings that show hedge funds holdings as of the end of December. After witnessing what happened last month, it's likely that many funds have changed their positions in in the six weeks since, but some, maybe not, Brian. And, and you wonder if they're going to care or if the hedge funds, I'm sure, are, are banging lob- lobbyists door down saying, hey, change the rules. This is what happens when we got to give up our positions as well. Or I'm sure some are agitating for change, saying you broke the markets. They need to fix this. I don't have any direct evidence that they're lobbying to change the 13F disclosures. There was, interestingly, um, a proposal last year um, under a different administration, the last administration, uh, to raise the type of filer um, to, a, I think it was a billion dollars, um, as a, your hedge fund had to hold a billion dollars in assets in order to be required to file 13Fs, which would cut out a lot of the smaller funds. That actually failed. There, was a, there were a ton of comments and letters to um, the SEC saying that this is not something that mm-hmm. we want. It's important for us to know kind of what the concentration looks like in the markets. So 13Fs do have more value than just you know, how the big guys are positioned. That, well, that's why you, you spend your time, as they say, watching for those whales on exactly. all those 13 Fs. It's our, if, four times a year, exactly. just like our favorite holidays. Leslie Picker, great to have you on. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. Good story. Thanks, Brian. A little sarcasm. Just a, just a touch. Leslie, take care. All right, let's turn now to the broader markets. We are seeing Dow futures up 212 points right now. The market melt up, at least in the States. Simply continues joining us now is Fabiana Fideli, Global Head of Fundamental Equities and Portfolio Manager of Emerging Markets Equities at Robico. Uh, Fabiana, thank you very much for joining us. You know, you've got, uh, you've got the vaccine rollouts, the UK and the US going far better than Europe, but yet central banks and fiscal stimulus, they're on their way. Banks remain accommodative. Is there any reason to believe 
that those equity markets, the U.S. or others like the U.K., will not simply continue to go higher. Ryan, good morning. We still like global equities. It is our favorite asset class. But you have to watch out where you put your money. There are some uh, markets out there that have done very well and probably are valued to perfection. Uh, The U.S. has kept on making new highs, but other markets, other regions have not. I mean, look at Europe. It's not even back to where it was before the pandemic. Look at China, not even back to 2007. And the MSCIEM is just above 2007 levels. So I think there is still a lot that you can find in terms of opportunities in global equity markets, but you really have to know what to find. The other thing that we have seen in, uh, in markets has been this headline effect. We were just talking earlier about the retail participation in the, in the program of, uh, on markets. What you've seen a lot of companies, a lot of stocks that have a brand name, that have a very clear glitzy story have been bid up. Uh, but there are others that actually are still uh, out there with mm-hmm. really interesting fundamentals and uh, excellent valuations. And so there's still a lot to pick out from. Yeah. And, and as we noted earlier, the vaccine rollouts, everything in the U.S. is going far better than most of continental Europe. And the, the Russell 2000 small caps here is up four times that of, say, the German DAX in the last 90 days. Do you expect Europe to catch up, both in terms of vaccines, that's kind of everything right now, and their markets? In other words, Fabiana, is continental Europe maybe actually now a better bargain than U.S. equities? We think it is. I mean, our topic in global equities is actually in emerging markets at this time, and particularly in North Asia, which really has done very well with the COVID pandemic. But Europe is our second uh, top pick. What you see in Europe is, yes, they have had uh, some issues with the vaccinations rollout, but eventually those issues will be worked out. There are a lot of cyclicals that are extremely attractive at the moment in terms of valuations. One of the things we also like about Europe is that they have a lot of stocks in the sustainability uh, environmental uh, trade, which right now is an area where a lot of fiscal money is going in and a lot of equity money needs to follow. So we do like European stocks. It's not going to be a, a very easy uh, path in the next few weeks, but eventually they're going to get there and valuations are uh, definitely more attractive than in the U.S. And what about parts of Asia? You know, North Asia has been our topic since uh Basically, COVID started. Uh, if you look at China, if you look at North, um, if you look at Korea, South Korea, if you look at Taiwan, uh, those are all economies that have done extremely well with the pandemic and where there hasn't been even an issue really of closing and reopening. They've been extremely resilient. The other thing that you see from North Asia is that their uh, technology companies are doing extremely well at the time. Jeff was talking about it earlier. The trade on semiconductors, there's a shortage. You have a lot of IP in that region, um, and I think it will continue to do well. Fabiana Fideli, really appreciate you having on a truly global macro view. North Asia, your top pick. You're up not far behind. Welcome back anytime, Fabiana. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. All right, folks, that wraps it up for us here on Worldwide Exchange. You are very welcome. Dow futures, they remain red hot. They're up 210 right now. The cryptos are up. Oil is up. A lot more to do. I'll see you tomorrow on Worldwide Exchange tomorrow. Squawk Box and the gang picking up coverage of that scary situation down in Texas. Next.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 